Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any of the trees in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of all of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, nor shall you touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that if you take of the fruit and if you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that it was desirable for wisdom. And she took of the fruit and she ate of it. And she also gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of them were opened, and they saw that they were naked, and they took fig leaves and sewed them together, together, and they made for themselves a covering. Father God, in this journey, this story, this narrative of you and man, today we come to a difficult subject of how evil entered the world, how sin entered the world the world. And God, this story of what happened in the Garden of Eden, God, it wasn't just a perfect place for long. It wasn't what you intended it to be for too long because we as humanity did what we wanted to do, not what you wanted us to do. And God, today I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would guide us as we look at your word, as we continue in this narrative, this story of the hero. God, and today as we take a look at the twist that the evil one wants us to believe, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would bind Satan in this place. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us into truth and to wisdom. And that those who are in here who call themselves Christ followers, God, I pray that you would pierce our hearts, teach us from your word. And those who are here today and they may be seeking, they may be searching, God, I pray that you would point them to you, the real true hero of the story of you and us. And God, I pray this today, help us to keep focused on what you want us to learn. May my words be yours, not mine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, when we left episode one, we left things in great shape, didn't we? We left paradise. We left the story with God having created this perfect place. The Garden of Eden, the world, he spun all the stars into space. He created the sun, the moon, and the stars. And with just his voice, he put into existence everything that we know, time, day and night, heaven and earth. He put in, to sp- in, spun into place everything that we know and see around us. And we here on Hilton Head Island get to enjoy this beautiful creation that he designed. 
And you know, it's interesting because in the Garden of Eden, there was Adam and there was Eve. And you know what? They lived in a perfect place. They lived in a perfect place where the things that cause us to age, they didn't have that. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? They lived in a perfect environment. That's what God had intended for creation. But you know, to continue the story, to continue this narrative of God and man and the story of the hero, we've got to go back even before creation. We've got to go back to before the beginning of time itself. We've got to go back to before the beginning of the world as we know it. We have to go all the way back to a time and a place that we don't really understand. You see, before the beginning of time as we know it, God created beings called angels. They're unseen beings that, um, like us, have some sort of free will. They're similar to humans in that aspect, but in many ways, they're so much different. They exist in a different realm. They exist in the unseen. But in the angelic world, there's a hierarchy. There's a structure. There's an order that may be different than our world. And in the angelic world, there were these certain angels that were keepers, protectors of the throne of God. And they were called cherubs. You've probably heard of cherubs. Well, in the Bible, in Ezekiel 28, the writer of Ezekiel relays a story. And what the story is that one of these cherubs was named Lucifer. And Lucifer was the most beautiful angel, the most beautiful cherub that ever was created. He was adorned with valuable stones and, and beauty. And Ezekiel said he was blameless for a while. But this special exceeding beauty that this particular cherub was given, God had given him so much power and so much authority. And he was the keeper of the throne of God. There was one fatal flaw with this one cherub. And it was that he had an unending, unrelenting pride. You see, this one called Lucifer, uh, he wanted to be, as the Bible describes it, he wanted to be like God. I mean, God had given him a lot of power, a lot of authority. He had created him in this beautiful being, this beautiful creature. But for Lucifer, it wasn't enough. He wanted more. He wanted God off the throne, and he wanted to be on the throne. You see, when God created the world, God created it in a way that he was in charge. I mean, he was the painter of the canvas. He was the artist that had created this beautiful creation. God was, and Lucifer didn't like that. He didn't want that to be. He was consumed and overcome with pride. Isaiah 14 describes how Lucifer's pride led to his demise. And his power and his hierarchy was more than he could bear. And it drove him and led him to do the one thing that would banish him from God. And that is, as he, deep down in his heart, wanted to be like God. He wanted to, have, he wanted to be prideful. He became prideful about it. And his pride enraged him. He couldn't handle it. And he rebelled against the one that at one point in time he had so much loyalty to and faithfulness towards. And Ezekiel 28 then goes on to describe how, this, how God cast Lucifer to the ground. And in doing so, at that moment, this battle began. It's a battle that began so long ago, but we still have the battle today. It still exists today. And it's a battle between good and evil. It's the battle between God and Satan. It's the battle between sin and righteousness. 
And at that moment, all that God would create in the future would become vulnerable to this one who we now call Satan. At that moment, the future of the perfect Eden that God had created would be vulnerable to potential evil. Even humanity was capable of being swayed by this evil. Because Lucifer is cast out of heaven and the potential now existed for evil, there needed to be rules, there needed to be laws, things needed to be put in order, and rules and guidelines would outweigh balance, the balance of freedom and free will. And so behind the backdrop of what we saw last week in episode one, with this beautiful creation lurking in the dark, is the evil one and the evil that he brings with him. And one day, Satan came scheming in the form of a snake in the midst of a garden, and he targeted one of the humans that God had created, Eve. And born in this time and in this place was a struggle to either choose God or reject God. And it's a struggle that we still face today. It's a struggle that we still have today. We either choose God or we reject God. That's what Eve was faced with, a decision to either choose the way that God had set things up, his plan, his will, his way, or she would choose to reject him and choose where evil was taking her. I've been confronted several times with the the potential dilemma it's a dilemma that comes up occasionally. Um, it's, I call it the imperfect creator dilemma. I have people who ask me, now, if God is God and he's perfect and he's all-knowing and he knows everything and he reigns on high, how in the world could he have created something with the free will to choose to reject him? It's a good question, isn't it? It's a great question. And then they usually will follow it up with this statement. Boy, it was so evil, it was so harsh for God to allow things to happen that way. But I want you to think about the opposite. What if God had created all of us, the angelic beings, us as humans? What if he had created us just to follow him, robots mindlessly following God? That to me is so much more unloving than God creating us with the free will to choose God to reject God. So even God in his creation was creating something that just demonstrated, that just portrayed his power and authority, but it also demonstrated his love and his kindness and his mercy. So there we are in the Garden of Eden, and Adam and Eve had a choice. There in paradise, in this beautiful place, they were confronted with the evil one, And that's where our story continues with this struggle. And it continues today. We all are faced with this struggle. Humanity would now be faced forever with a choice between evil and good. And today, I want us to learn a few lessons about what this battle is about, what this force of evil is about. Take a look at your notes if you have them. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 3. As we tell this story, I want want us to learn some lessons about what we're facing in our day-to-day lives. First of all, first of all, evil will lure us to believe that we can reject God's position in our lives. Evil will lure us to believe that we can reject God's position in our lives. Take a look at the first verse, Genesis 3.1. The writer says that now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. 
And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any of the tree in the garden? You see, the very presence of this evil in the midst of the garden was trying to usurp God's power. Now, now let me step back for a moment and just uh, draw your attention to the fact that evil took the form of a snake in this case. Um, We live in an area with a lot of snakes, don't we? Um, I don't know about you. I would rather them not be here on Hilton Head. I mean, let's, you know, let's send them all down to Georgia and Savannah. How about that? <laughs> but we're, we're faced with, we're faced with these, these creatures that are potentially destructive, potentially deadly in some cases, and, and they, they scare us. They're slimy. They're gross. Even me describing them right now is making some of you very uncomfortable, I realize. Eve was in the midst of this garden in perfection, and one of those slimy creatures talked to her. (laughs) She heard audibly him talking. That would have been even worse. I mean, I'm, you know, I mean, we have enough snakes around here, but I'm glad they don't speak. But in that perfection, there was a lot of freedom, and we have no idea what it was like. It would not have been unusual for Eve to encounter something that would have spoken to her. And so this, this snake, this serpent, begins to speak to Eve, and just his presence, I want you to capture this, please capture this, just his presence in the garden itself was trying to take position away from God. The creator of the world, the creator of the Garden of Eden, the creator of man and woman, and specifically he was trying to take away the position of God who was the ruler of all things, just like an artist has say-so over what he paints or what he or she does. And there in that garden was this evil, there in that garden was this serpent that began to speak to Eve, and just his presence alone was edging God or edging Eve and Adam away from God. That's what evil does in our life. It edges us away from God, doesn't it? I have a kindergartner, and um, my kindergartner will come home some days, and he'll tell us about something that happens at school. And in kindergarten, there's always a special helper, and they get to wear a button. And on the day that you get to be the special helper, um, you also get to be the line leader. And from what I hear in kindergarten, it's awesome to be the line leader. And so Sean will come home and he'll tell us about a struggle that's happened that day in kindergarten because the line leader always gets to line up first at the water fountain, which I'm realizing is the best part of a kindergartner's day, by the way, and at the bathroom and to go out to recess. And whoever the line leader is supposed to be in front And Sean will tell us the struggle that happens when one of the other children decide they want to be the line leader that day. And so they try to edge out and they try to get in front of the line leader. They want to get in between what uh, the teacher has already established as the one who's supposed to be in charge and whatever is in front of them, the good that's in front of them. You see, that's what evil does. That's what evil does. I'm not saying kindergartners are evil. Okay, please hear me. And I realize, I realize that the illustration falls so short because the evil one that we're talking about, his desire is so incredibly strong in your life and in mine to edge God out. He tries to get in between God and us, and he tries to edge 
God out. In fact, I want to describe it a little bit differently because we often hear about the fact that Satan or the evil one will try to take God out of your life. I think he does it in a different way. I think he tries to push you away from God's authority that already exists. And so the evil one will will push and fight and get in the way of you and God, and he'll push you out from under the umbrella of God's love and authority. Evil will constantly, if we allow it, lure us to believe that we can reject God's position in our lives. He is all-knowing. He is the creator. He is the one who sent love down for us, and the evil one will cause us to doubt it. He'll cause us to compromise, and that's exactly what evil will do. It'll cause us to compromise. Evil will present itself in different forms in our lives. It may be different for you than it is for me, but I think the word compromise puts it best. Think about it with me for a moment. If you compromise in your love for your husband or your wife, the one that God has united you with, evil has been allowed then to erode what God has established. If you compromise in your godly business practices and you cheat on something, then you've allowed the evil one to take away the values that God has determined and set in place for your life. If you compromise by speaking too harshly to another neighbor or student or friend or family or brother or sister, then we've compromised the order that God has set up for us to love each other. If you compromise on a commitment that you've made to your husband or wife or kids or parents or church or community, then you've allowed evil to step in the place of the God of order. I want you to hear this this morning. When we are faced with evil, we must be absolutely ever aware that given a chance, evil will ultimately challenge God's position in our lives. Given the chance, given the root, given the room, he will edge us away from God. And in doing so, he will challenge God's position because he, the evil one, wants to be first. That's the whole nature of who he is. Secondly, evil will use God's words with a twist, just a little twist, to change the consequence of God's plan. It was a twist enough that this serpent was in the garden to begin with and that he began to try to lure Eve. His presence alone was enough to be the twist. But then his words furthered that twist. And specifically what I want to focus here on in this point is the consequence changed. The evil one wanted to twist the consequence that God had already set up, the order that God had already set up. He wanted to change it. And evil will use God's words just with a little twist to make it sound a little bit better for us. Take a look at Genesis 3, verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, (laughs) you won't surely die. You won't surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. You see, that's what the evil one wanted to be like in the first place. Lucifer, the one that wanted to be like God, he's tempting Eve with the same thing. He says, you'll be like God if you eat of that fruit. And then specifically on the consequences, he just comes right out and he says the opposite of what God said. 
He said that you won't die. There in the Garden of Eden, there was one rule. Wouldn't you like to just have one rule in your life? That'd be nice. There was one rule. They could eat of any tree in the Garden of Eden except for one. And God's commitment was that if they did that, that they would surely die. We'll take a look at it in a moment. But the evil one comes in and he says exactly the opposite of what God said. It was a bold-faced lie. It wasn't subtle. It wasn't subtle. It wasn't a little white lie. It was just a bold-faced lie. Have, ever, have you ever heard a bold-faced lie? I told a bold-faced lie when I was five years old. And I remember it to this day. It's one of my most, you know, memory burn in my mind. I was five years old, and my parents walked outside the house for a few moments, and I did what any five-year-old would do. I found a pair of scissors, and I took my hair, and I cut this big V-shaped portion of my hair out, and then I realized my parents were coming inside, so I took the hair and the scissors, and I hid them with a trail behind the couch. And I was standing in the living room, and my mom said, did you cut your hair? Did I cut my hair? Now, mind you, there's a trail of hair going behind the couch, and the scissors and the hair weren't hidden very well. Did I cut my hair? No, I didn't cut my hair. And I think I might have gotten my mouth washed out with soap after that one. A bold-faced lie. Sometimes the evil one approaches us, and there's absolutely no subtlety. He just completely changes what God says. Absolutely turns it upside down. But then there are times when he tries to change the consequences in our mind of our actions, and he does it just subtly. And that's when we need to be very, very aware of what God is doing. Think about it. Sometimes the subtle lies cause us to bite on the evil quicker. I mean, we, we hear it all the time. One little bite of that thing, that's not going to cause me to gain weight. Maybe not, but it's a subtle lie. One drink won't cause me to get drunk. One innocent relationship with someone else who's not my husband or wife, that's not going to cause me my marriage. Cost me my marriage. And we believe in these lies. I can steal just just once. It's just a pen or a pencil. And see, we change the consequences. No one will ever see that. Students, I can just cheat just this once. I mean, I've got to have at least a C in this class, and so I'll just write it on my hand. Nobody will ever see it. It's really not going to matter by the time I graduate anyway. I'm going to be close enough to my GPA. What's it really matter if just this once? And so we believe the lies of evil, and we do so to the extent that we bite on the bait that's set for us because the evil one is trying to lure us to believe that there are no consequences. Charles Stanley, the pastor in Atlanta, says this, one of Satan's most deceptive and most powerful tools and ways of defeating us is to get us to believe lies. And the biggest lie is that there are no consequences to our own doing Satan will give you whatever you ask for, Charles says, and he will lead you to ultimately where he wants you to be led. You see, when we believe what he says, when we believe what evil says, when we believe that there are no consequences to our actions or the consequences are less severe than what God says, 
then we are being led to exactly where evil wants us to be led to. The third point, finally, evil will trap us into manipulating God's words. Evil will trap us into manipulating God's words. Notice that so far, Eve is just really, she's kind of an innocent bystander. I mean, she's walking in the Garden of Eden, enjoying all the perfect part of Eden, and all of a sudden this snake begins to talk to her and begins to challenge and question God's rules and God's laws. And so far, she's essentially said nothing, but then she joins in with the evil one. And she talks about what God says. You see, he got her, didn't he? He got her. Just like evil will get us if we're not aware of it. So here's where the twist comes in. Now, I want us to go back to Genesis 2 and take a look at what God said. There they were in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, and they were enjoying all the pleasures of the Garden of Eden in this perfect place. And God said, look at what he says specifically in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge and of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. You see, God's plan was pretty, it was pretty clear, wasn't it? There's not much ambiguity there, is there? If you eat of this tree, you'll die. Our kids could understand that, right? Except that there was evil lurking about. And Adam and Eve were potentially, uh, could potentially succumb to that evil. There was only one rule. And so in repeating the rule back, I want you to notice what Eve does in chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. And the woman said to the serpent, yeah, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but look at verse 3. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is, a, that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. Did God say that she couldn't touch it? No. No. God never said that you couldn't touch it. But Eve added that part. Why did she add that part? She says, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. You see, that's not what God said. What Eve said was different. It was a change. Again, it was a twist. And all of a sudden, she became complicit. She became part of what was going on. There was a twist of what God had said. Some theologians believe that perhaps Eve was innocent. Perhaps she really believed that you couldn't touch it. She wanted to stay as far away from violating God's rules as possible. And so when the serpent asked her the question, she just honestly answered. I kind of think there was more to it than that, maybe. Because what do we do if we don't agree with a law or a rule? What do we do? We make it sound worse than it really is, don't we? I mean, mom and dad have given me a curfew. It's 10 o'clock. It's 10 o'clock, but boy, I better be in by 9.30. We make it sound worse than it is when we don't agree to it and when we don't intend to keep it. And I think that we see kind of in between things that this wasn't an innocent thing that she did. She was exaggerating and giving hyperbole and embellishing the rule of God when she said, yeah, God said we can't eat of that tree, but he also said we can't touch it. And once again, we see that Eve bought what Satan was selling. He engaged her. She responded. She bought into the lie, and she even made it sound worse. Because when we don't agree with a rule, we try to make it sound so much worse than it is. It was just one rule. It was one simple 
role. Do you see the twist? Do you see what evil can do when we allow it in our lives, when we engage with it? I'm here to tell you today that just like in the Garden of Eden, just like in episode two of our story of the hero, uh, evil is going to engage you at some point in time. I don't know what form it's going to take. I don't don't know what temptation it's going to be. I don't know what situation it's going to cause, but it's always going to try to pull you away from saying that God is God. It's going to pull you away from understanding the order and the plans that he set up. And it's going to cause you, if you give into it, to change what God has said. And so that's the twist. Adam and Eve were on their own. And they had the free will to decide to take a bite of the fruit and reject God. Or they could have chosen to remain with God and follow him. And they chose their will. They chose what they wanted instead of what God wanted. All because of that. We deal with this today. We deal with this as humanity. But where's the lesson? Where's the lesson in this episode? There's got to be something that we can learn from Adam, Adam and Eve making the choice to reject God. Well, I think there is. And I want to fast forward all the way to Ephesians, where the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church at Ephesus as we end today. And I want us to take a look at how we can stand strong against evil, because there's one way in particular that we all can stand strong against evil. The Apostle Paul is speaking in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, and he says this to the church, and I think he's saying it to us today. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, if you think I'm just making up the name, Paul said it too, evil. Verse 14 says, or verse 13 says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Verse 14 says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which, which you, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And then verse 17, he gets to what I want to make a point of today, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God that can help us fight the evil in our lives. Whatever form that takes, whatever temptation you're facing, that is what you can use as an offensive weapon to fight what the evil one is telling you. You see, Paul talks about truth and righteousness and the gospel of peace and faith and salvation, but he gets to this final one, and it's the only offensive weapon that he uses, and he says that we need to take up the word of God, the sword of the Spirit, And that's our bottom line this morning. The most aggressive weapon that we have against against evil is the truth of God's word. The most aggressive weapon that we have against evil is the truth of God's word. I don't know about you, but I can't stand on my own against evil. You know what the truth is? None of us can. Not one of us in here can. 
Not the strongest Christian, not the best, most righteous person can ever stand on their own against evil. But we're given the word of God. And if you're in here today and you're a Christ follower, we've got to take up that word. We've got to read it. We've got to study it. We've got to believe it. We've got to own it because that is going to give us the power to stand up against evil in our lives. So there we are, this Garden of Eden, paradise now lost, really, because of what Adam and Eve did, and we suffer the consequences even to this day. But you know, it's interesting. There's a larger theme here, and that is is that God created this world for his glory and for our pleasure. We talked about that last week. And all of a sudden now, evil has entered the world. All of a sudden, sin has entered the world. And we have to answer a question. What now? What now? Stick with us for these next two weeks as we answer that question. Will you pray with me? Father God, I pray that you would just guide our hearts. Father, I pray for those who may be in here and and they, they don't know you. They're searching. They're seeking. They're trying everything to find peace and contentment and the answer to their problems. And God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would guide them to you. God, I pray that they would stick with us over the course of these next few weeks to find out what we do about this problem that's been created in paradise. And Father God, I pray for those who are in here this morning and they are they're Christ followers, they're following you. But God, they're dealing with some some serious stuff in their lives. They're facing major temptations. They're facing things that on their own they cannot overcome. They're facing situations in their lives that's going to lead them to a point where they're, if they don't have your word, they're going to say yes to evil. And God, I pray right now in the strong name of Jesus that you would help them to stand strong on your word. Just in this place with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you, are are you struggling with something right now? Are you going through a period of time right now where there's something in your life that is causing overwhelming temptation that you feel like is just coming from the evil one? If you're in here today and you're you're sensing that and you're feeling that, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you need to to be prayed for about something that you're facing that you feel like is evil, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Amen. Amen. Thank you in the back. Thank you. On my left, your right, over here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Any others? Father God, I pray for those who raised their hand this morning, who said, you know what? I'm facing something that I can't overcome. No way. And God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would give them the strength and the courage to dive into your word, the sword of the spirit to stand strong against evil. God, I pray that you would help them to resist the temptation to try to figure it out on their own. That's what Eve did and that's what Adam did. And look where it led them. And God, I pray for those who raise their hand this morning. I pray your blessing over them. And God, I pray that you would give them the strength and the courage to seek you out and to seek your word for the answer.
to the temptation that they're facing. And God, I pray that you would help them to realize that they need your word to get through it and they would seek you out. And God, I pray for all of us who are in here. God, I pray that you would help us to realize oh, that your plan is so good, that your plan to solve this problem is going to be so great. It's going to be so grand and it's going to be so far-reaching that none of us can escape your love. Oh, it's so wide and it's so deep and it's so great, Father God. And we are so thankful for that this morning. I pray that we would rely on that and that we would lean into you and that we would stand strong on your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.